0: The Battle of Britain is about to begin.
1: Detroit, we got eight trucks. <laughs> Let's follow on right, on there right,
0: right now. I've got a on, please, right? out there. Welcome back to the Lead Pursuit podcast. Well, once again, we have to roam far afield. I don't know why on an aviation podcast we don't talk about aviation war games. But guess what? Other things catch our eye. We see things out there that we want to talk about, especially new projects and new miniatures coming down the way. But before all that, I have to announce a new member of the Lead Pursuit team. Steve Toth has decided that he actually has nothing to do and would like to join out and help us here on the Lead Pursuit team. Steve, welcome aboard.
2: Hey, thanks a lot, Doug. it would uh, be a fun ride, and uh, I guess you have somebody on enough times, you just kind of make them a permanent member, huh?
0: Yeah, apparently you couldn't run away fast enough, so now you're part of the team. Good luck. <laughs> Tonight, we're going to talk about a new game coming out from Mythico Studios and Warlord Games called Mythic Americas. Tonight, we have on Nelson Martinez, the game's creator. Nelson, how are you doing?
3: I'm doing all right, Doug. Uh, thanks for having us, by the way. Thank you. Absolutely.
0: Well, I've also got your project leader, Chris, Chris Remitz, if I can say his name correctly here. Uh, good to have you on, Chris.
1: Thanks, Doug. It's great to be here. I'm excited to kind of see what the lead pursuit uh, thinks about the game and what their views are here.
0: Well, I'll tell you, I hate it. It's terrible. I haven't even seen it. I'm not okay, going to buy. I'm out. it. Oh wait, no. Okay, <laughs> isn't that how everything goes on the internet these days, guys? It seems like a like everything's always negative.
1: <laughs> that is that is so true.
0: Yeah. Well, we're not, we're not going to do that. We're, we're not going to talk any other aerial stuff tonight. We're going to go straight into talking about Mythic Americas. Uh, why? Well, for a couple of reasons. One, I do think the miniatures are really cool, and I want to dwell on that a little bit. But I also want to talk about you know Mythico Studios and some of the things you guys have been doing, uh, some of the game concept for Mythic Americas and, and where it's going to go. Because I think it's something different than what we kind of have seen in our run of the mill gaming fair. Um, but first, Nelson, let's talk a little bit about your background. How did you end up uh, being so interested in kind of this mythic background and especially set in Central and South American history?
3: Um, so let's see, I was um, fortunate enough, I think, in, in many ways to uh, grow up in South America. I grew up in Venezuela, sort of and Colombia. I came up to the States in, in the 70s um, and um, <clears throat> I was raised by uh, my grandmother, uh, who was uh, um, really sort of full Native American, um, which is kind of cool. Uh, but what was really cool about it was the you know the, the kind of stuff, the stories that we all hear at home. You know, from whatever your heritage happens to be. Well, my heritage happened to be a lot of this uh, kind of Santeria, kind of cool sort of mythology of you know, kind of that merges Catholicism and. and sort of native uh, cultures and African culture. So my grandma was full of stories of all kinds of cool monsters and ghosts and uh, banshees. I think they actually made a movie out of a banshee called La Yorona, which is a famous uh, sort of uh, a story that they tell kids to scare the crap out of them um, when, uh, you know, late at night. So um, grew up down there and just, you know, picked up a fascination for um, uh, just mythology of the Americas, really. And then when I uh, grew up here uh, in, in New Jersey, I then picked up a love of history, I actually started by building uh, all kinds of Tamiya airplanes of World War II, all World War II stuff. And so that's that, that modeling got me into the hobby, you know, Warhammer fantasy years ago. And somewhere along the line, about 10 years ago, I got this idea that, uh, man, it'd be really cool to have To really sort of focus on the mythology of the americas you know um and you can stop me by the way because once i get going on this uh, i'll just i'll just no no keep keep digging your hole this is great (laughs) Uh, so we'll let you keep going less
0: talking by me is
3: better oh well you know long story short um i love american mythology and we have so much of it and all of us here uh gamers most of our games are based on european mythology And for me, I mean, that's great. Everybody loves dragons and dwarves and elves and all that other good stuff. I mean, I'm I'm not going to knock it. I I, I enjoy that lore and that mythology. It's all Tolkien based in essence. Um, But why is it that we don't really sort of focus on all of the amazing mythologies in in the Americas? And when I talk about the Americas, I'm talking about North, Central and South. And I include the Caribbean um, in in this conversation. They're, They're just like I, I bet most of us know one, one billionth of, you know, of a portion of, of what we could be uh, really exploring uh, just out of interest, right? So. Oh, yeah.
0: Well, well, you and I talked about it uh, when we, we kind of did a pre-interview for the show. I think this is something that hasn't been touched since Dungeons & Dragons back in the, you know, era of uh, deities and demigods that people really haven't gone back in and hit a lot of the less-than-mainstream lore that's out there, and whether you call it folklore, whether you call it religious belief, you know, people, people will always get amped up and upset over whatever you choose to call it, so I will not get upset at people calling it folklore. Uh, but, uh, but there's a lot of really interesting stories and beliefs there, and, and to be honest, uh, kind of mythic arcs of, of, you know, creation through destruction and, and cyclical things like that
3: yeah no absolutely so um so, yeah, i think I, I in our last conversation i i mentioned this idea that what we wanted to do with the game and the games that are gonna that are being born out of this space was to give uh, uh folks um uh, an itch an itch to not only play the game but as they play the game to go you know what i didn't know that about the incas i i didn't know that about the maya or the aztecs or I mean, there are so many tribal nations uh, here in North America that just most of us don't know anything about. Um, so if we can do that, as you know, and, and a lot of us are history fans as well, right? So if we could uh, recognize that living here, for example, in North America, there are just mythologies that none of us have ever heard of that are just wild. I mean, in New Jersey, one of the mythological creatures, the Jersey devil that we all know is, you know and love dearly here in New Jersey, is, you know, uh, um, it harkens to to a Native American, you know, um, creature. And so it's it's um, and it's a very real cultural icon for us, for example, here in the northeast. So there's a lot. You even
0: have an F-16 squadron named them, which is which is so funny to me, because coming from my background, we fought the Jersey Devils a number of times when they would come down and and fly down in the uh, in the southeast but oh, is, that, that's, is that right?
3: How do you realize? Oh that. yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. And so I had friends that knew the squadron commanders up there, and uh, long story sh- uh, short, it's kind of funny uh, to to see how uh, cultural icons get get spread across everything from Air National Guard squadrons to um, you know to sports teams to everything
3: else. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So anyway, so that's a part of it. We can get into more uh, um, you know more detail, but honestly, for me, it's a labor of love. I started this thing ten years ago. As a project, I, I've been writing a novel for 10 years, believe it or not. You know, I, and so I, um, it's finally going to be published in, in, uh, in the spring. Um, well, so uh, let's,
0: let's talk a little bit about the progression, because uh, what I don't know is how does Mythico Studios fit into this whole overarching plan? How, how, did, how did Mythico Studios get established, and what's the goal there?
3: All right, so Mythico Studios started out as an experiment. Um, so I, I've, I have a background in business. I've owned my own business for, I don't know, since uh, the year 2000. So I, I haven't worked for the man since 2000, right? And so I'm used to kind of doing things my way, uh, which is one of the advantages of having your own place. Um, and in in that owning business, starting businesses um, experience, I've been fortunate enough to um, aggregate uh, a group of friends that i think are uh just brilliant human beings with lots of creative ideas who also happen to be gamers and what does my business have to do with all these gamers well we, i've always found a place or found a way initially to house our gaming club which is called the silverbacks in one way or another in in one of our company spaces right and uh, chris who remembers the last the, the last cool gaming club that we had um, at one of my uh, offices uh, for the Silverbacks was was really posh, I think, <laughs> for, for what we were doing. And we had dedicated gaming tables and it was fun. So from that came this idea that, you know, we're not playing at a hobby store for a reason. Most of our local gaming stores were, you know, for tabletop uh, uh, gamers. We were like the ugly cousins, right? Like they just like, they want you to buy the stuff and then they want you to leave. It was a hassle to get a table. Nobody really dedicated spaces, you know, space for, for tabletop games as far as, you know, in the areas that we live. Right. So we thought, well, what if we open a place that's more of a gaming studio, less of a store? And we, we build it around the notion that two thirds of the space is going to be all for, tabletop gaming it's it's just really about celebrating the the hobby every aspect of the hobby and so we started out with a small space and we made it a membership club so that everyone it's five bucks a month by the way it's like it's like you know almost nothing and the idea was that everyone who joined the club the silverbacks club which then became the mythical studios um uh stores you know, had to pay five bucks a month. And for that, you got gorgeous scenery, great tables, always open, always there. Um, and, and it just, honestly, it just blew up. It just, it, it nice. Nice. within the first, I don't know, Chris, you remember, I mean, literally within months, we just could not fit people in the, in the place.
1: Oh, yeah, it was, it was two months. I mean, we were in the new place um, in November and by January we expanded. I mean, That's it was a it that, problem to it have. Was, <laughs> it was that fast, and I can remember, I still have fond memories of going into the smaller space when we had one of our big tournaments, and the place was just packed, solid, wall-to-wall. And it, it was amazing to see the community just come out of the woodwork, essentially. I mean, you know these the, everyone knows some gamers, you know. If you're if you're into the hobby, uh, but to just see the sheer volume of people, young and old too. That's that's a thing. It was a lot of young people well, doing. So it.
0: that's that's what's fascinating because everybody I shouldn't say everybody, a lot of people that run game stores and and kind of watch the industry for me. Tell me how hard it is to get. All ages and groups in for tabletop gaming, but it's easy if you if you have a mix of, of different genres. Um, and so I, it's curious to me that you guys have, have maybe not had to do that, that you've been able to kind of drag you know larger composite groups in uh, and not to not cater to such a broad uh, spectrum as you know card games as comic books and, you know, modeling all the different things that a lot of times people do in in kind of what I will call a compromise store, where they do a lot of everything and not really anything well.
3: Yeah, well, if you, um, do you remember that Kevin Costner movie, um, the baseball one where he builds a baseball field? (laughs) Exactly. On his his farm, the idea of if you build it, they will come, right? So I've always had this notion of, and Chris shares this with me, and, and we've always thought that you know, there's a lot of, I call them the Lost Tribes, okay? So there are groups of people out there that are Blood Red Skies players, they're Bolt action players, they're Warhammer 40K, they're whatever, you pick the gaming system, right? But there's no place that caters to all of them. So how do you aggregate and create a community of people who are not um, who are not uh, necessarily playing the same games, right? So first you start with this notion of, okay, well you gotta give a space that's dedicated for our games. It's you know, we, we do have uh, uh, card players to come play Magic, you know, and all that stuff. But usually those guys take precedent over everyone else, right? Because it's the easiest thing for a, a hobby store to run, yeah, to yeah. just put something on the table. It's easy and it table. takes very little overhead, no terrain, nothing like that. Totally. And it's it's crack. You know, the players buy it constantly. I mean, it's just <laughs> exactly. Some, it, right? It's, so it's easy money. It's e- it's, it makes sense. I don't, I don't knock it. It's much more work to offer tabletops you know, 20 permanent tables. You know, it's very difficult for anybody. So we started from that premise. Okay, you know what, Lost Tribes, all these folks that are looking for a community, what we need to do is build a community, give them a beautiful home, and then, you know, there's gonna be a, 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 an attachment to this which is gonna be a small hobby store, right? And that's gonna help support the the club. That's, and we call them studios instead of stores, and all and all of a sudden, you know, we have we're now we're now opening our second one. You know, we're on on uh, we plan to have four by the end of 2021. The second one is opening in in, in November. This is all even through COVID. And I got to tell you, the one thing about making sure that um, you build a community first and you make it about them, not about the business. And that's where I, I think it's really important. Like you got to make it about uh, for us, coming to a studio, a Mythico studio, is like going to your favorite bar. It's like you come in, you know there's going to be a table, you know some, everyone is there is going to make sure the scenery is awesome. You never want for scenery at our place, trust me. We literally have a, yes. a, a location dedicated. <laughs> Another terrible problem to have. <laughs> oh, it's awful. Dude, you know, it's nothing worse than you show up to play whatever game you're playing and the scenery is falling apart, it looks like crap, it kills the cinematic experience. Um, so anyway, so we spent a lot of time and effort. Chris has been huge. He's, you know, he's the, the, the Silverbacks leader. Uh, there's a, the Silverback group is a, is a good, solid group of, of gamers. We play everything. And so it's taken off and it's, um, and it's all community supported. So that's the background in as far as how Mythico Studios, um, became sort of is growing into what it's growing to be, which is really an entertainment company is how we Excellent. describe it
0: so so in the middle of all that you say oh what the heck let me just rewrite another game and you know change the concept and bring out some new miniatures and start a multi-year project right yeah
3: well I, I so this is where my business background comes from right so when you do when you've owned your own business for for um uh good lord what is this 20 years now 20 almost 21 years there's a couple of things that you learn along the way you know i've had businesses where i've had to uh um, where i've had investors and so you have responsibilities to investors, right? So I see my, our community leaders as sort of, quote, our stockholders, our investors, right? We're not that big a company. But the, the idea is that you have, you're have you responsible to them. You have to offer, you, know, you always have to have uh, something that's structured for them. And that requires that you have a plan. So when we launched Mythicos, we launched it with a very clear business plan. It was a five-year business plan. And... The the plan was to create an American-based entertainment company that focuses and starts from the tabletop gaming industry. A lot of entertainment companies, a lot of brands that are in the entertainment business have started from video games, right? So you can name dozens of them. Or they've started from comic books, right? Some of the biggest entertainment companies in the world, their brands started out as comic books, you know, back in the 50s, okay? Um, So can we start an entertainment company from the tabletop and build the IP and the ideas from the games that we come up with? Uh, And so the idea was was Mythico Studios as an entertainment company. Uh, The the studios are kind of the community places where we test the games. We have the community involvement in writing the games. Chris will attest to this. All of the writers of our game are silverbacks right Chris uh,
1: yeah, no I'm uh, yes they were uh, yeah. they were all friends you know and and that's a that's I think part of what made it successful is that you can get a group of friends together they're all creative I mean I, I usually find most people who are into the hobby are, are creative folk um, and you know to take these ideas of um, of these myths of the Americas, right. To, to talk about Aztecs and Maya and Inca, which are, which are these mysterious to, to, to you know, me, I grew up in Pennsylvania, you know, it, it, these are, these are almost fantastical, uh, cultures in and of themselves. And, and when you start diving in as well as North American, uh, you know, indigenous Americans, which I've always been fascinated in, but, um, you know, you you get this this concept that we want to make a game around that, and then you are are gifted with the Warlords of Erwan rule set, and then you get a bunch of friends together, and we're like, okay, guys, now how do we synthesize this? Um, you know, we can just make models for Warlords of Erwan and that's great, um, but wouldn't it be more fun to try and personalize the game to make it more thematic to the actual, um, mythic America's ideas than the fluff behind that. Um, and you know, the, the team really, really rallied to it. I mean, they all, you know, we've been working on it, I guess, since about a year and a half. Yeah. And, And, um, I'm, I'm so proud of, you know, everyone involved that in a year and a half, we ha- are releasing, you know, pretty much a full model line, a whole rule set, uh, you know, and it's, it really is um, that Warlords of Erewhon version two. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Warlords of Erewhon or, or, or that gaming system, Doug or Steve, but um, it's, it's. It's a unique experience. I mean, have you played at all?
0: I haven't played. I've, I've got a PDF of the rules because I uh, was going to get into it and then got sidetracked. <laughs> <laughs> but but on PDF day, I bought plenty of copies of rules like that and, uh, and uh, Gates of Antares as well. So sure. I'm, I'm vaguely familiar with it.
2: Yeah, I'm actually just kind of really uh, enjoying here just the explaining of it. And it's funny because you keep using the word myth and... Uh, the myths of the americas and stuff like that and just thinking about when you hear stuff when you hear the term myth or mythology like as a person who grew up in america right you automatically go to greek mythology or you go to like some of like the uh you know asian cultures and their myths and their mythology right but to hear the stories of native americans in central america you know that's stuff that you hear growing up in school as in history class learning about and even their folklore and stuff, you don't hear it described as myths. So it's just really neat to see kind of this uh, fusion of the myth with uh, uh, some of the uh, cultures that you're familiar with. So it's just a, a neat introduction to that stuff.
3: Yeah, it's um, so the, the mythology is you're so right, right? Because we we grow up in school and we learn the classics, right? Greek mythology, uh, the foundation of all Western civilization, right? Um, and so, and and then, you know, recently it's been Northern European mythology is kind of the driver of all of our myths, certainly for the gaming industry. But when you think about our own American cultures, you know, the cultures that are from the top of the, the, you know, North America to the very, very bottom down to Tierra del Fuego. It's, I mean, it's incredible what's here. Just even if, if what we do with this game is to get folks to learn more about our own history and by that I mean the cultures and the people that are in 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 this continent I think we would have succeeded you know um, and I would love for people to get familiar with what the Aztecs were, what you know, what the Maya, the Incas, the Olmecs, the Toltecs—all of these various cultures, the various tribes. Most people don't even know the number of uh, you know North American tribal nations that that are out here. Most people don't even know that every time we walk down the street, we're walking on on a place that's been that's been uh, part of a a group of human beings that were living here way before any of us, right, and that have had culture for thousands of years. So it's. It's here, like in Europe, I go to England all the time, well, before COVID, because I love it over there. And it's incredible, you can go to a bar and and sit at a bar that that literally could be 900 years old, and they're conscious of their history. We're we're less so here, but it's here. It's not just our own kind of Western-based history. Well, Um, you know, that
0: was the the funny part that we talked about, uh, Nelson, because I guess a lot of times I don't realize how blessed I was to grow up with Uh, A very small, very tiny (laughs) amount of Cherokee culture in my family. Um, And then having uh, my mom and her family that uh, while they were pretty much German and Welsh and not the slightest bit of of, uh, native indigenous people, uh, but they they lived in New Mexico. And so, you know, her and my dad met out there. And so I, I grew up in this world where I was I was given Navajo tales and storybooks as a child and, and i had kachina dolls on the you know on the shelves and so so to me it, it's kind of funny because go, oh yeah, yeah no big deal You you mean not everybody grew up hearing these stories and, and these legends and things um so i i think you've, you've hit on something that there's a lot of americans who um are interested in it and are fascinated with it but i think a lot of people probably never Put it into their games, or never uh, incorporate, it, especially as a separate game, because they didn't know where to start. You know, it's, it's kind of overwhelming.
2: I'm excited, and I hope I don't get this wrong now, because I'm gonna be really embarrassed if my memory's starting to fade me. But uh, I was looking at the figures for this game, and when I was in grade school, I remember learning about the Aztecs. I think it was the Aztecs, and I had to do like a diorama project. And I did this diorama of a spinning pole with like little guys hanging off with their feet. Then painted all the feathers up with the colors. So I saw some of those Aztec figures, and I was like, man, it's going to be cool to paint some of those guys. So is, is that an Aztec thing, or do I have the the cultures mixed up there? It,
3: it depends on what that that actually might have been a Northwest, you know, uh, Native American um, uh, scene that you're describing. Depends on uh, there's a lot of uh, that. The Maya had a similar. Thing I, um, that was part of their uh, one of their rituals. It depends. I'm I not. I would have. <laughs> you'd have to sort of fill me in a little bit more on on what the kind of the diorama was about. But, um, but I can tell you this though. If you just after this uh, after this conversation, just out of curiosity, go look up some of the um, mythologies around the warrior culture of the Aztecs and find out how. You know, in, in, in some of their stories, you know, if you're an amazing warrior, you, you you basically fight your way and you die and you go to hell and you continue to fight down there. And you fight all these awesome demons and, and creatures. And, and it's just look at this amazing adventure that you have um, as a warrior, right? Their mythologies, you know, and um, are were alive every single day. Now, for them, for them, this is important, for them, a lot of these creatures and characters and entities were religious figures, right? They had religious significance right now. So, you know, for us as a as a group of uh, people who are very sensitive to wanting to make sure that what we do is we we encourage people to learn about these these uh, cultures is we want We want people to celebrate the cultures, learn about them because there's so much to learn. And we think that by giving uh, people that type of information in a fun engaging maybe even entertaining way you're more likely to want to learn about it than if i just sat here and gave you uh you know a two-hour podcast on the history of the aztecs you know
0: so let's talk a little bit about what you've done to tweak it because this isn't just Aztecs Texan Incas for Pike and Shot. And this right. isn't just, you know, we're we're not just taking uh some very historical things and, and rolling them out with rules and and making in a sense a a counterbalance to the samurai in Warlords of Erewhon. It's it's now, no kidding, something yeah as you said, mythic Americas, there's there's a different layer of lore than even what you're used to, even if you've studied these, these things. And tell us a little bit about your, your concepts, ever-living versus ever-changing, and, and how you, you've built that into the concepts of the rules.
3: So when you do something like this, I think, in my opinion, one of the things you have to do is A, be cognizant of the places you don't want to go to. So you don't want to go to places where there may be an active religious group even entire nations you know uh uh who worship certain entities or certain ways of uh or certain beliefs and that kind of stuff right so you want to you, you want to be able to be very sensitive uh uh to that i as as you know um uh, 40 native american we were we were uh uh you and i were joking about you know how many uh uh, Elizabeth Warrens are in my Exactly. I think I'm
0: 512 Warrens in mine. Yes. which means yeah. means I'm not even enough Native American to be counted. Such I may be like 13,000 out <laughs> of 100,000. I think, you're, 000, right? I think yeah. you're actually like a million Warrens yeah. or something.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think the the reality is if you sort of have that, it's in it's, it, it's got to be a driving principle, right? So the respect for the cultures uh, is got to be a driving principle. Um, my, my job as a sort of, uh, you know, creative person within this was how do I create a place where I can bring in these mythologies and marry them to this history of these incredible cultures and present them in a way that allows for us as a as a group of people uh, to not tread into unwanted territory, but to be able to put in front of you a a host of incredible histories and mythologies. Right. And, And just keep it to that. Keep it to to giving you that itch. Right. So we we felt that the way to do that was to create um, uh, a, a, a theater, in essence, where we can put these characters uh, to a full to full play, and to give that theater a theme. And so, we created our own mythos uh, for, Nathan, for for uh, uh, mythic Americas, and it's based on a universal theme that I, I, I it's it's not only universal to these a lot of these cultures in the in the Americas, but really universal to a lot of cultures around the world, this notion of balance, right? So this idea of balance uh, uh, in your existence and how you live your life and balance between mankind and nature and the universe, yin and yang, that whole thing, right? It's a very universal theme when it comes to to just the philosophy of living, right? So you got to keep that big heady thought in your head. as kind of the the, one of the creative foundations. And then you create a uh, you, you need to be able to put that balance gives you a mechanism and, so, and forgive me if this gets uh, a little heady, but that balance gives you a mechanism to be able to create two opposing forces. Because whenever you want to play a tabletop game or you want to create a cool story, you've got to have tension, right? You've got to have characters that are pushing against each other. Otherwise, it becomes, uh, you know, I, I don't even know what, what story doesn't have two sides to, you know, to it. So you've got to have balance for the story is key component. And then you have two sides that are struggling uh, to achieve a goal now in our stories the balance is dictated by this entity called we call the one right and the one gives the all of us uh we humans are called the children right the children are created by the one and we are giving something called the way the way is kind of the way to live right but it's encompasses a lot of stuff you have to read some of the fluff uh uh, as, as the lore comes out but those three principles give you the, the tools to then manage two opposing groups, the ever-living and the ever-changing. And so if you look at life in general here on Earth, you have constant chaotic forces that drive change and innovation within life, right? And so natural disasters are things that do that. Uh, tectonic movement of the Earth, of uh, the you know plates of the earth does, does that well uh, no, that storm. never
0: happens in uh, you know South and Central America <laughs>
3: <laughs> right, the Andes being built by those things exactly right? so so those kind of things are those are the ever changing forces right that's the, the the those are the things that bring evolution to the fore and so the ever living really are the the entities that are uh, focused on on life as we know it we. The children, humanity, are the latest iteration of uh, what, what the one calls the the uh, the ruling children. Right. So our job is we're put here to kind of keep the balance in the beginning. And we live in we in the mythic Americas, we live in eras the way the Aztecs live in eras. And in our story, in this game, this portion of the game, um, we are at the end of an era. Right. And guess what? The children. Uh, the ruling children, are always the one that somehow managed to screw up the balance. And that's as the one... Shocking. Right? right? So we're here to maintain it, but eventually... Well, eventually we, we're going to tip it. We're going to yeah, screw it Yeah, exactly. Up. And that's as the one had desired it. But, you know, it's, it still seems to be a mystery to the children that, that that this happens, you know, at the end of every era. And so that allows us to now create... And this is important, and Chris will, will, will you know, can uh, add to this, but Once you've created this, these components, you have your cooking ingredients, now you have to put a certain amount of rules to this, right? So my, one of the rules that I put on this, again, because of my sensitivity to, uh, and and of our sensitivity as a group, to making sure that we stay respectful to the cultures and, you know, the mythologies and the history of these incredible peoples, was that we're not, in in our game, there are two uh, universal factors. There is no evil group in our game, there's no, in essence, there's no dark side, light side, there's no people who are just outright evil. All children can be evil as humans, right? All children can do good things. We, in our game, we represent that uh, by the, the, the desire to have, um, to achieve balance or disrupt balance. For whatever reason you're looking to disrupt that balance or to keep that balance, right? So that gives you the ability to have an entire faction like the Aztecs who run around with a bunch of, you know, undead bound creatures. Well, in our culture, in the Western culture, zombies are, you know, note evil of some sort right there's little old church ladies freaking out right now as they listen to this podcast oh I, wait no they don't listen
0: to our podcast <laughs> we're safe we're safe because
3: they don't like my foul language <laughs> so with all of this the, the the best thing about it is when you sit here and you write and look i i, I as I'm, i as i work through this novel um you know, which for me, again, it's, a, it's been a labor of love for 10 years. I, I, I'm going to be flabbergasted when I actually see it come out, you know, uh, arrive on my, uh, uh, on my doorstep. Um, there's, there's an enormous amount of freedom. Here's what I can tell you, though. Because we then bring in the players to play in this play, as it were, and they are characters and cultures and even creatures that are familiar to us as Americans... Um, because everybody knows a Mohawk warrior, everybody has heard of a Seneca archer, everyone has heard of an Inca or an Aztec or a Maya. We might not have heard of all of the cool things that they're doing or some of the characters that, you know, that are a part of their mythology, but we, we do have a surface understanding, you know, a layer understanding of who these, you know, uh, peoples are. So you bring those characters in and now you give this to a group of game designers who are all very smart, you know, folks with masters, very educated, super creative people. And, and and all of a sudden, they start coming up with their own ideas. And that's when you know you're onto something. Because, oh, shit, when I was a kid, excuse the French, you know, I used to do this. Yeah, and I we, we don't give a
0: fuck on this podcast. Oh,
3: so, you know, that, that, they, you, you see the juices flowing. They get all excited. And they take on this new personality because now they discover there's all... Kinds of amazing stuff that we have right here. All we need to do is stop looking to Europe for for. And look I, again, I have well, no but, issues with dragons and you know dwarves and elves and all that shit. But man, we have so many more cooler things here. Well, in, and let's talk America. about that though, because that's
0: that's something that I think. Um, I'll be honest, I don't know that the current uh, larger gaming uh, world in the United States is is really ready for. And this is kind of why I wanted to have this as one of our podcast episodes, because we've tried to have a series of discussions, whether we're talking about you know World War II gaming, um, you know, weird war kind of 1947, 48 gaming here with, with uh, Mythic Americas. This problem that we have been so hung up a lot of times when we play games in playing it as the right or the wrong, the good or the bad, mm-hmm. um, somebody has to, quote, play the bad guy, that I think it's hard for people to step back and say, okay, I'm gonna look at this, even though it has elements taken from history and from legend and all kind of mashed up together, that that it's not an intent to draw a line of good versus evil, right versus wrong, uh, conqueror versus conquered, because the way you've, you've described the system to me when we've talked about it is it's building up attention with objectives, secondary objectives, and things that, that don't necessarily fit the way you view possibly that those forces would work, those those historical forces would work, um, and that all the mythic stuff rolled into it caused you to think, well, i now have to I have to build an army that's different than if I grabbed something out of you know 1500s
3: history. right. So the again, if you exactly exactly right, right? So if you take if you'd remove the the evil side against the good side, right? And you just go on the very basic concept that people fight all the time for all kinds of reasons, and we can explain to you why that once started that war with that group. Except that in our lore, right, since there is no good or evil per se, th- there is uh, there is love and hate, but there is no good or evil, there's no good side, no bad side. We've set it up so that uh, we've taken, and maybe this is a good time, and, I, uh, uh, and I'll bring in Chris on this, but. The lore of balance, the idea of balance, we then took that concept and brought it to uh, Warlords of Era 1, right? Because what Rick Priestley did with Warlords of Era 1 was to create an amazing, um, uh, generic is the wrong term, but it is designed to be a generic gaming system that allows you to play with whatever models you have at home, right? So he spent a lot of time writing an awesome core, non-fluff, uh, dependent uh, generic rule system that you can just use, like I said, to play a fantasy game, right? Very good rules, well thought out. Um, where we thought we can put uh, two things that we felt the game needed, and I think a lot of the community of one wanted, was one, they did want a background. They wanted a fluff. They wanted a history. They wanted something to attach themselves and be passionate about and, and read about and find out about. So we thought, well, you know, Mythic America is, is, is great and uh, you know, for that. We'll, that will deliver in spades. And then the other thing is, if balance is your motivator, the scenarios that are in the game right now, not that they're bad, are still in a way uh, designed to be more, more about victory points, how many points you can kill, right? And that leads to it can lead to a lot of you know complaints about well the dwarves are so hard to kill you know it's it's everybody plays dwarfs because they're well you end get up her. with
0: a, a lot of last man standing kind of games exactly and and, so, and I think we've we've all said that's not what we want out of this gaming experience and and we want something different
2: and it's, yeah uh, that's that's too. one spot where you know blood red skies really shines right because it has that boom ship mechanic that isn't about fight Absolutely. to the death right <laughs> right. Fight for the mission, fight for an objective, but you don't have to always annihilate the opposing force to nothing. And quite frankly, that's very rarely how any type of fight or battle, except my first marriage, that one ended in total annihilation. But, uh, well, hey, you, you know, know, at least we most know our things, limits. <laughs> most, thing, most fights in life don't end to, you know, an, at annihilation. So it's cool to see that working into some other game systems.
1: Well, yeah. if you've played Warlords of Aralon, you know that. That annihilation is exactly what happens when units meet. It is a very, very bloody tabletop game, and it's rare that a unit will come out of a, a confrontation uh, unscathed and able to survive a second. and And so it is bloody, and that and that makes the idea of playing for kill points seem like an obvious uh, objective. But we wanted more. We wanted a game where you could um, you know, lose your entire force, but still win on points. That's always, a, and that's a, that's a hard thing to put together. Um, and, but there, are, we've seen other games. I mean, we're all very experienced and exposed to, you know, pretty much every game that's out there. And, and you, you know the ones that that, that can do that. And um, so we were striving really to try and, and replicate something similar. And the interesting thing is that it, it also, um, it supports the theme. You know, that we can start weaving that ever-living and ever-changing and balance onto Mythic Americas in the form of those objectives. And so, you you know, when you're playing a game, you have a primary objective that you and your opponent both are very clearly aware of. But then you have secret secondary objectives, which um, adds that, you know, stealth strategy behind it and, and goes also goes into the whole army building aspect of it. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of ways that we try and build that kind of layering on top of what Rick Priestley wrote um, to create that Mythic America's experience, which is different than Warlords of Aeron.
3: And it's driven from the idea of balance, right? So what Chris is mentioning. So if you think about it, we, one of the things that we wanted to do for the game was that we wanted to uh, almost force you to build a balance list. Because in this game, wh- before you even start the game, you don't know under which alignment you're going to be fighting, right? So you can't always decide that I'm only ever gonna play Everliving because they have awesome whatever, right? Um, you show up to the tabletop with your you know, tribal nations warband and I'm gonna, or, or you know, I'm gonna fight against Chris's Aztecs, for example. I need to be prepared to be because it's a random choice uh, before the game starts as to whether I'm going to be ever living or I'm going to be ever changing. Now, why is that important? Well, a already adds an element of of, of, a random chance to this, which will it's you'll notice a theme here. We want to take a lot of we want to add a lot of controlled random elements to the game in order to encourage folks to be prepared for a variety of, of of conditions within scenarios, right? And it starts from the how you build your list. So you have to be prepared by showing up with a list that is maybe playing on the ever living or ever changing conditions. By playing under one of those, you're gonna have access to special things that are only available with, under those alignments, right? So that right there starts putting a path in front of you as to what you may have to consider when you build the list. Then there's a primary scenario and then, as Chris mentioned, there's a number of secondary scenarios. These are all objective-driven scenarios. So you could literally play the game, well, you have to literally play the game the entire time you're playing. You have to keep those scenarios in mind. So you're going you're gonna to find troops that are completely, you know, uh, 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 it's totally okay to send your warlord out to get his face smashed in and for him to die with his bodyguards and everything, because you don't care. At the end of the day, you're, you're positioning to have that uh that other unit to come in and hold that objective at the key moment to win the game so for me having played chess for 25 years the the you know the idea of always looking two three four five six moves ahead in order to set up a position that you that's more advantageous to me that's the beauty of an awesome game actually that's the beauty of what rick priestley did with warhammer fantasy way back in the beginning of time right where you had to play it that way in a more historical tabletop gaming experience. And so the way the guys have written the, the mechanics for the scenarios, the way this incorpor- you know, sort of attaches itself to the mechanics of the fluff of the game is really what I love about what happened to Mythic Americas. Because now when you show up, and remember we built, uh, this goes back to the gaming studio, we built a gaming studio in a series of stores as, as it were uh, so that you were always immersed in the cin- cinematic world that you play your games in. So if you're going to show up to play Blood Red Skies, we want to make sure that, you know, that you're feeling like uh, that environment is, is come to life for you. All right? So this game should do the same, and the scenarios should do the same, and, the, and they should really uh, marry themselves to the fluff. And I think the guys have done a brilliant job of taking the, the foundational rules that Rick Priestley wrote and then adding this layer, which th- I think delivers on the idea of balance, which at the end of the day, is the entire underpinning of what Mythic Americas is all about. So well,
0: I was about to say, don't give Steve too many ideas here. He's gonna show up at your store wearing a flight suit and a leather flying cap and say, <laughs> <laughs> I wanna be immersed in blood red skies. <laughs> oh, you know what?
3: I think it's, 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 to me, dude, why else do, I mean, we love history. We love the planes, we love the things, we love the ships, we love the whatever. Aside from community, which, you know, it's like going to your local bar, right? That's what a gaming club is. Um, that's out. what
0: our Gathering of Eagles was. It was a bar that had a gaming problem. That's pretty so fantastic. That's, a, that's exactly that's what right. we
2: did for a weekend. <laughs> yeah, don't... Don't forget, you're talking to a guy that wore a uh, flight helmet with a full oxygen mask and hose when COVID broke out to go to Home Depot. So uh, yeah, I might have yeah. to actually take you up on that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Don't threaten things you can't do. Uh, well, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, kind of the, where the the fluff is right now and kind of where it's expanding to. Because, you know, what we've seen teased online and, and put out uh, between your website, Warlord's website, we, we know certain... Armies and war bands are out there. We we know there's going to be Aztecs. We know there's going to be tribal nations. We know there's eventually going to be Inca. Uh, I think there's also going to be Maya, from what everyone says. And I'm really curious to see how we we draw some of the lines between those and 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 make them unique. Uh, but where where is it kind of going to evolve and go after after some of these
3: native cultures? So one of the um, um, one of the driving principles for Uh, mythic americas was that we wanted to make sure that um, we designed a game and worked on a game that was going to be supported right like i've um, i as a gamer have fallen for a lot of games in the past where you love the game and then suddenly a year later there's no new miniatures there's no new rules there's no new campaigns for a variety of reasons right it's one of the reasons why we partner with warlord a john Stollard has a you know founded this company has an awesome history of being in the industry, creating great games, supporting great games, right? So our partnership with, with Warlord gives us the ability to produce these games and get these games out to the world, knowing that we as a group of individuals, for whatever reason, call us crazy, have invested an enormous amount of time, money, and effort into creating a game that we feel is going to be here for 10 years plus, right? And so how some of these things are driven by the the simple notion that if we know mythic Americas is going to be around for a long time uh we know it for two reasons one is because mythic Americas will have eight factions right um will, which will be the core factions um you know chris is going to start texting me not to give away too much of the, what the other four factions are going to be but the there are going to be uh there's an additional southern uh south america factions there's a caribbean um, uh, war band there's another whole series of north american war bands there's one more technology driven uh an additional south american war band and so those are going to be laid out uh in the following schedule so in you know come january the incas and the maya will hit uh thereabouts Um, and then in the summer we have two more factions, uh, two more warband factions coming in and then we have the last two right around the fall. Now, the reason we're doing this is because we've, remember, we mentioned balance as kind of a universal theme. So the other driving principle to this concept is as much as I love the Americas and I'm as much as I'm passionate about this world, the idea of balance and these two forces, um, has given us the scope to cre- come up with a, uh, what we call the mythic series, the mythic Earth series. And mythic Earth means that we're going to, in in uh, fall of 2021, we're going to introduce um, mythic Asia. And mythic Asia is really mythic Americas on that continent. And for us, we want to touch on themes of cultures and histories and mythologies that are little explored, that aren't your your cliche we've seen it a thousand times this is no we want to look at cultures that are little known and then we move on to mythic europe and again the same uh same idea and then mythic africa and then we end with a fifth book uh uh called mythic earth which is the the sort of uh big kahuna that wraps up the idea of balance across the children which is all of humanity not just us the children here uh in the western hemisphere and so it's a big project i mean it's a massive project with a lot of factions six to eight factions per per uh universe as it were and um it it's i I think a testament to the genius of rick priestley that he wrote a a a platform uh, you know give us we inherited, and this, you know, this book now is, a, is our version of that, um, uh, we inherited a good solid foundation from which to build these, these, this sort of mythic concept. And so that's, that, that's where it's gonna go. So next year is all about Mythic Americas, and it will continue to be all about Mythic Americas because it's not going anywhere. It's gonna get new factions. The, the eight core factions will, will get new uh, subgroups within each as we design. And actually one of the things that we're gonna be doing is so take a, a, a model like the uh, Quetzalcoatl, right? So the Quetzalcoatl was you know, uh, uh, was alive and apparent in a lot of the cultures in, in Central America. Um, a Quetzalcoatl might look different to a Maya than it would look to an Aztec, right? So my goal is, well, hell, next year we should have kind of a Maya version of a well, Quetzalcoatl. What would that look like, right? I mean, we have the Aztec version of the Quetzalcoatl right now. And so there's no reason why once you design a miniature, uh, you can come up with, with adaptations. C- certainly with today's technology and the sculptors that we work with, we can do this. And we have the ability to produce variations on some of these models. And so there's going to be a rich model environment for us, uh, a, a wealth of targets, as it were, uh, for us to, to pick and choose from. And then over the next five years, as we launch these, these uh, mythic universes around mythic Earth, uh, we're gonna find out all kinds of cool histories about all kinds of cultures around the the, the planet that most of us have never heard of. Well, so that, well that's you know, the overall so, goal.
0: So I put my first ultimatum out when we uh, did our pre-interview, mm-hmm. and and I said if they're. Uh, if there aren't war llamas, <laughs> then I'll never speak to you again. And we so we talked about that and some things you may or may not want to talk about. And then yeah. since uh, since we're going to talk about Mythic Asia, uh, I'll put it out there: if I don't have uh, Maori warriors with uh, with spirit Tasmanian devils that are the size of uh, one of the Sasquatches, then then I'm still not
3: talking to you. <laughs> now, Doug, you see that if see you brought actually you brought that up in our last conversation. And dude, I got to tell you, I went to look for them. <laughs> I, I went to research that because that, that's not something that I was familiar with. And to me, you did what I said we should all be doing. You gave me an itch, and in, in not a rash. Give me an itch, and I went to look for something that was that was interesting, new, and different. And that's what I think. That's what a lot of us want on the tabletop—something fresh, you know, something that, uh, you know, as, again, as a history fan, I feel like I'm a. I'm learning something. Uh, and certainly about a culture that 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 I knew very little about, on the side of the planet that I'm not familiar with. You know, the I mean, I think about New Zealand, and now all I think about New Zealand is I think of freaking you know, a widow workshop and The Hobbit. You know, <laughs> the Shire well, being in, in uh, well, New Zealand.
0: And this is one of the problems that that we have with our very Tolkien esque fantasy. Is I can't tell you how many fantasy games of a million different rules I've seen with an army of goblins and some trolls bolted onto them and maybe a dragon fighting a bunch of people in plate mail that might have some elves or dwarves mixed in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, miniatures will always look beautiful. People always make some neat armies, have some cool tactics. But to me, there's just so much uh, mythos that is underserved that I think uh, would really be awesome to be able to put on the tabletop if there were a game and a and a system to to really expand it, which I think a lot of us liked when we first saw with warlords of Erewhon and and things like the tengu were in there and, and so there's there's all these uh, little known things that were like hey that's actually kind of cool <laughs> yeah <laughs> that you can do
2: and I yeah. think the I think the learning new stuff is always something that drives people towards historical games and not just another sci-fi fantasy game right so I know even for me like I had always been into aviation in you know growing up in America always love the p51 love the Corsair love the Hellcat love the p40 right and then i was in blood red skies for about a month and i was like spitfire and everybody across the pond was oh no no it's not a spitfire there's 67 different marks of spitfires and don't ever confuse them and uh sent me down (laughs) sent me down that whole you know (laughs) sent me down that whole rabbit hole of learning about the different marks of the spitfires and then so that that to me personally i think is what draws people to historical gaming right Is you you find these things out that you didn't know about, and you kind of go down that rabbit hole. And I think people in general that are into historical gaming have that desire to, to learn those new things. Well, I was going to say that's a question I want to ask Chris, is how much
0: time is the, the project lead is buying you and your your team some more space with Nelson to go, hey, hold on a minute. We need to go research this because here's some cool things. Or we think we have a rule. We just have to find the right mythic creature entity you know, folklore to, to fit that. Uh, how, how does that work out for you?
1: Well, it, it definitely isn't, is not that direction. It's always the, um, what are the myths, right? What can we find out that that's hidden under the covers of, uh, you know, the tribal nations or, or the Aztecs? And when you start, you know, you, you come up with something like a Wendigo Or, you know, the Quetzalcoatl, those are all pretty, those are standard, right? But it does start getting down deeper into the weeds, like we have, like, the Maris monstrosity, which is uh, for the Incas. Uh, Or Camazots, which is actually a fairly well-known mythic monster for the Maya. Um, We, the whole team, just gets a real kick out of doing their research, but trying to find the coolest monster, I mean, that's really kind of what it comes down to because we, we, you're looking for what's the one thing that pushes it over the edge you know that, that no one's heard of that's going to be a completely new idea that we can run with. And then we'll bring it in and we'll say, okay, we're, we're building a giant snake or we're building a giant monster full of dead bodies. What do we do to make it thematic? To the faction right how does it work so that it, it's holding up because each faction does have a play style uh, that was one of the things that kind of was my job i i unleash these guys uh you know asking your friends you know they're creative you say okay go ahead put together a mayan army tell me what you would do if it were mayans and and how would you make it special but i i didn't take any army myself i mean i i let everyone work them and then i tried to Make sure that the ideas of theme and play style were were stuck to, so that we every army didn't play the same. Um, uh, but we do we t- we do that with the monsters. You know, you'll take a monster and you say, okay, we know that you know Aztecs are playing kind of like a horde army. What would be a fun thing to do? And all right, now we've got it. Now we create some rules that are going to make the monster. Uh, stand out and play differently than anything, even in the whole well, Warlords of Arowana. Well,
0: that's, and that's where I think there's both some really cool artistic license, uh, and yes. there's always a pitfall, because as, as, as I look at some of the, the miniatures or some of the monsters, and, and I... Have an expectation from my knowledge of some of the uh, the stories and the and the folklore for how things are. It's like five minutes ago. I just finally looked at the Quetzalcoatl. I'm like, who the fuck put legs on a Quetzalcoatl? <laughs> yeah,
1: that's, right. that's right. That's right. We did. That's
0: right. We did. <laughs> <laughs> you assholes did. So, yeah. so yeah. it's it's funny. It's things like that, and and it's like Nelson and I having the argument about um uh, about pumas versus right. black jaguars, jaguars yeah. versus all these yeah. other things and, and and those kind of discussions. And that I think it's going to be interesting to because hopefully people will not be quote unquote rivet counters because the, the intent is not to create something straight out of history. It's to, to take some of these interpretations and people are going to have to say, Hey, you guys as game designers took your own spin on it. That might not have been how I modeled one of them, but I get what the theme of that, yeah. that monster is. What you know? Are you gonna I know do? why it's supposed to be that way.
1: You're going to come and tell me that the Quetzalcoatl didn't have legs. Hey, I've got
0: one, and it didn't have legs, mister. Yeah, okay. (laughs) It's it's in my basement. It's my pet. I want to see pictures.
3: (laughs) No, look, you know, um, I challenge folks to go. So go look up a uh, Boraro, right, which is one of the creatures, one of the – that should give you a hint as to what we're going to be doing as one of the next factions. But if you look up a Boraro, uh, which is a uh, Tucano uh, creature, you know, you're gonna be blown away by the sickness of this creature, right? The, on the tabletop, that thing is gonna be amazing. Um, if you look at an I.R., you're not gonna find one, you're not gonna find an I.R. in, a, in an Aztec uh, an temple wall, right? Because an I.R. is a creation of mythic Americas. Based yeah, on That, the, that uh, was one I'm like, where the hell did that one come from? Yeah. But, but no, that's that's totally within y'all's license to do that. That's exactly <laughs> right. So if you then, you know, and, and so people are going, well, why in the hell would you create a, a creature that, you know, there's so many, you just said there are all, all these cool. That's right. But it's still a game, right? So we still have to create miniatures that will do some of the things that the game rules ask you to do, like, you know, shoot overhead. Um, and so in, instead of trying to force uh, uh, something that maybe uh, can't do something like that or may feel not natural to the mythology of that particular creature, um, we decided to, in some instances, we're gonna have full creative license and we're going to, to create our own monstrosities based on the lore that we created for that particular faction within, within uh, Mythic Americas. So I,
0: I'm already disturbed because I'm just doing my internet research and the Bararo in the belief of the Tukau Indians of yeah. the upper Amazon, tall with hairy chests and huge phalluses. Now, yeah. maybe, now maybe <laughs> I don't want to know who your modelers are. Yeah,
2: how well, do you model
0: that on there, huh?
2: <laughs> there you go, Steve. You, you always
0: wanted to be a, a company 3D modeler. There you go. Yeah, i
2: have I'll get on that right away. I'll start really doing some great research. No, sure. so yeah,
0: exactly. So, so I know you guys are gonna take some artistic license, and that's cool. I I think it's just funny that for me, uh, enjoying so much of this, so much of the folklore, I sit there and I'll dig through, and and there'll be interesting little details that are there because obviously you're you're modeling a lot after the known art styles and uh, and graphic imagery uh, of these tribes and of these cultures. So I think it'll, it'll be fascinating to see how that evolves over
3: time with each one of the, the different armies. Definitely. And you'll see, you know, for, for when it came to the human troops, right, as it were, the, the human-sized warriors, we tried to be very, very um, uh, careful in how much time, we wanted to spend a lot of time in researching the particular units, you know, so that they were as historically accurate as we could. So if you want to use one of our Seneca archers for, for some other game or, you know, you, we wanted to make sure that we were truly representing to the best of our abilities what a North American, you know, tribal nations archer may look like, you know, in the 1400s, right? So, um, you know, when it came to the human uh, units, we spent a lot of time researching, researching those. When it came to the mythological creatures, you know, I say, yeah, okay, show me a Quetzalcoatl and I'll tell you it doesn't have legs or it does have legs. And maybe the next one doesn't have legs, but it has, you know, four sets of wings. I don't know because, you know, we have descriptions from the, from the Aztecs as to, you know, these, these, these gods, but unlike the Egyptians, they weren't, around, they went, didn't go around building entire Statues of what you know—the guy, the, god yeah. of the undead it's not like a
0: sphinx. Like. Or, yeah, exactly. exactly. It's not Anubis right. standing out there in, in fine detail.
3: Exactly. So it's up to us, you know, to bring these things to life. And I'm telling you, dude, I, I promise you, there's going to be all kinds of folks out there uh, as soon as you know. And I've seen it already. I can't tell you how many uh, requests we had for. Oh my God, you have to do the Inuit. Oh my God, you have to do the this. You got it. What, what do you mean you're not doing? We've had requests for Vikings. You know, the Vikings got to North America. You should do the Vikings. Um, and so that's when you know that you're going to have fun for the next few years because people have all kinds of ideas. Will there? No, be- no. You,
0: you know, you've hit the end of the internet when your search for Quetzalcoatl brings up the article was Quetzalcoatl a Viking? I, I think I have hit the end of that's- the internet with that one. <laughs> I'm like, no, let's stop mixing my mythologies there. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's
3: <laughs> and, and I, it's it's going to be. Uh, we're going to run into, like you call them, rivet counters. I used to build, you know, 30-second scale World War II planes, and I used to go to competitions, and I stopped going to competitions because I hated that freaking mirror that, you know, that you have to put your plane on so that they can look at the underside of the plane, and then they would nail you if it was the wrong, you know, uh, machine gun size or the wrong cannon size or whatever the hell it was. And I was just like, you know what, that killed the fun for me. Now... I love researching that, and I love you know working on that. But I didn't want to, I didn't want to take it to that extent on my own modeling experience, and it, it sort of killed it for me. But I can't tell you how many books on planes I have here, you know, on my library shelf. So I I love those details, but some of these things uh, you sort of got to take lots of creative license on, like a Quetzalcoatl. I have no idea what does a Sasquatch really look like, other than a very bur- uh, you know a, a sort of a, you know, bad picture from the seventies. Um, yeah, exactly, know. and I'm sure there's also a lot
0: of back and forth between you and the miniatures designers, and 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 from everything that we've talked about, it seems like you also want to give them a little bit of artistic license. So you don't want to give them this precise, you know, sketch of exactly what you want. You want them to be artistic because they're going to um, really induce the feeling of motion and life. And even terror in some of these uh, these monstrosities and these creations you have, because otherwise, you're, if you're just taking a pencil sketch and turning it into a miniature, it, it might look like bolt action miniatures. Oh, wait. So, so I gotta line. ask,
2: <laughs> I gotta ask, we have some uh, ancient aliens, sky people, crystal skull factions coming to this game in the future? Or?
3: Uh, so funny you mentioned that, right? So we did mention some technology factions. Um, and uh, all I would say is, I'm sure everybody's familiar with the NASCAR, not NASCAR, the NASCAR lines, um, uh, you know, in the uh, in the Andes, in the uh, highlands of the Andes, in, the, in Peru and in Chile. And so there's all kinds of, if, if you look, see, I'll give you another homework assignment. So go look for the aircraft of the, uh, within the... Um, the pre-Columbian cultures in uh, specifically the highlands of the Andes in Colombia. And you'll see, uh, which I love this, I love the fact that uh, when you get into the South American mythologies and um, the ancient cultures, there's this incredible fascination by archeologists today and popular culture with connecting them to alien visitation. Um, And the Nazca are, a classic example of that, that, you know, the lines that are, that could only, according to scientists, have been painted by, you know, uh, have been, could have been drawn by looking from above, from a high altitude above the, you know, the, the planes. And so um, long answer to that, but uh, to a technology driven uh, faction is definitely uh, one, of, is going to be one of the eight. Uh, which I think is going to lead for uh, that's yeah. going to be fun. I, yeah, it's I'm be a blast. looking forward to that. Yeah, it's going to be a blast. So, uh, there, it's 120 models that I think we just spent. I don't know, Chris. How long have we a year or something doing this?
1: Oh yeah, a year um, and a half.
3: Yep. And, and uh, so we've we've um, we've had the pleasure of designing all these uh, gribbly creatures and cool warriors, and uh, look forward to uh, you know to designing a bunch more. And I got to tell you, the Warlord guys, uh, John Stollard and Simon uh, Tiff, before he left uh, Warlord, uh, was a sort of visionary with this. Uh, uh, you know, Chris and Paul Sawyer, everybody, who's, you know, Gabriel, everybody who's worked with us on this from the Warlord side of things has just been freaking phenomenal. So it's a, a big, big kudos to them as well because, uh, yeah, we might have come up with the idea, but they were, they've, been, they've been phenomenal partners in making this thing happen. Um, so yeah.
0: Absolutely. Well, we've been talking for a little over an hour. And uh, while I can talk about mythology and folklore yeah. and especially uh, Central American and South American kind of stories, I can, I can talk about that for hours. Uh, I think our listeners probably want us to wrap it up. And my excuse will be that we talked about Quetzalcoatl. And so that's something flying that counts as an aerial war game. So we didn't stray too far from the uh, Lead Pursuit podcast intent. Uh, but more importantly we we really want to talk to you and Chris about just the the game design and the and the process that you guys had gone through and I think we've done uh, done a lot of that tonight probably we'll uh, have to talk to you again as more factions come out and and the game expands some more um, but uh, Nelson are there any you know last party shots you want to kind of leave us with any any thoughts about the system or, or y'all's intent behind uh, the series of releases
3: no I think just you know look out for for um for the stuff that's coming out. And look, we love people's ideas. I mean, this is, remember, this is a community company, really. It's, it's literally, it's, it's a bunch of gamers in a, in a room, as many as we can fit in a room now per New Jersey, uh, you know, rules and regulations yeah, on COVID. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but send us, you know, we, there's all kinds of, you can go to uh, our Facebook page for Mythic Americas. Uh, you can go to the Mythico Studios. Uh, facebook page and you know, just get involved in the community and and you know keep up with us i we do play other stuff you know we do play blood red skies and black seas and cruel seas and uh bolt action and uh uh so you know, if you visit MythicO studios on facebook you'll see a huge community of, of like-minded folks and um and maybe the next time you have us on walk well, i can ask you uh you can give us some advice on on uh, on how to play my uh my american uh force and um, blood red skies because i'm not very good at the game right now
0: don't worry <laughs> neither am i with americans I, th- I think all of us that play americans uh accuse andy chambers of stacking the deck for the british
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, i have a I firm suspicion that that is indeed the case but i haven't been able to prove that
2: well i'm, I'm uh, i'll tell you what i'm definitely looking forward to checking out this mythico studios i'm right across the delaware river there in pennsylvania so uh, i'm definitely looking forward to checking this place out and actually uh John Russell was telling me a little bit about it. So it uh, sounds like a great place just to get together and, and game and looking forward to getting over there and checking it out. Oh, man. that'd
3: be great dude. just let me know, shoot me an email or call me or whatever. I'd love to have you over, man. That'd be great.
0: Chris, any last minute thoughts, uh, from your end as the project lead? Uh,
1: no, I think we've covered everything pretty clearly. I, I was going to say the same thing, Steve, if you're going to head over to the, to the club, uh, let us know and, uh, we'll make a day out of it. it uh, and and I guess the one thing I did want to add is there is a a, a discord for uh, warlords that uh, Mythic Americas now has a channel on. Um, I monitor that pretty closely. So if people have ideas, that's a great place to put them if that's you're good. not doing the Facebook thing.
0: Good, because you're better than I am. We have a uh, Gathering of Eagles uh, server, and we have our Lead Pursuit one, and I don't monitor either of them very well. <laughs> I'm like, oh, look, someone asked a question a week ago. <laughs> Maybe I should have been paying attention to so much playtest. Uh, uh, well, no, guys, it was really awesome to have you guys on. Uh, Thanks for coming on and and discussing Mythic Americas, uh, discussing the Mythicos game uh, and Mythicos Studios uh, kind of theories and and what you guys are doing there. And we're really looking forward to getting our hands on uh, the game when it comes out, seeing how the miniatures uh, look and then how the game rules play. So thanks very much for joining us tonight. And Steve, it was awesome to have you on. You know, Welcome to your first uh, full-fledged event as a Lead Pursuit native now.
2: Yeah, it's really exciting. It's uh, great. You hit the phase. great. Ep- Paying the benefits are awesome, aren't they? No, it really sucks. You know, I hear these things start going downhill at episode 51, and now you just brought me on so you could blame <laughs> exactly. it on me. It's like, a horrible that's exactly time to what join. we're going to do. Most podcasts <laughs> fail
0: about this point. We're going to blame you, Steve. Now, it's good to have you on, brother. Uh, I'm glad that you've joined the team, and uh, we'll talk about some of the other new team members uh, in our next episode, which should all be uh, talking on tactics.
3: Awesome. Guys, thanks for having us on. It was a fantastic time.
1: Yep, really appreciate it, thank you.